I am Melanie. And I'm Justin. We're a couple of counselors. Welcome to the podcast. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a a few minutes. It's been a few minutes. Summer's happening. Stopped us from being as consistent with the podcast, but we're here and ready to jump back in. So thanks for being here. And when we were wrapping up the last podcast, the concept of boundaries and how we could go deeper came up. So that's what the plan is for today. Yeah. And we have a a guest to help us talk about boundaries. And this is the first ever guest on the pod. So it's pretty exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, we have a dear friend in town. And since she's already on the couch, we figured we'd ask her some questions. She also happens to be a counselor. So (laughs) we're we're bending the rules of the couple piece. But I guess couple can be what, two or three? Yeah. Maybe that's few. It might be a few counselors on the couch right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a few. But um, yeah, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Alexis. I met Mel and Justin while I was in graduate school with Melanie. Uh, Like 10 years ago now, Uh found out, realized on this trip. Uh Kind of mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. Been in the field for a while. uh, Currently working with adult women survivors of child sexual abuse. Yes. So the concept topic of boundaries comes up often. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, in a work day, how often are you talking about boundaries? Mm. You want to take that one, Alexis? How often are you talking about boundaries? Pretty much every day. So a couple components to what I do. We have a retreat that we run, and then we also see individual clients, like uh, the both of you. It comes up every day at retreat. We teach classes, and it is a component in every single class because it's so woven into every part of healing. Mm -hmm. So it it comes up frequently. Um, Lots of questions, lots of discussion. So we could probably have an entire class on it. Yeah. Yeah. And when people have experienced abuse, it's very much like orienting past, present, future. So boundaries violated in the past, what's your current relationship like with even knowing what your boundaries are and how do you create and foster relationships in the future that keep boundaries in mind. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Do you want to take a stab at, just so we can define our terms here, of what are boundaries and why should people care about them? Yeah. I mean, where I end and another person begins, right? Like physical space boundaries, there's like energetic influences, things like that. But also... I often learn my boundaries experientially and figuring out like, oh, that was too much or too little or um, that landed a certain way within my nervous system. So that that's how I tend to figure out what they are. But it's basically a need uh, to function optimally with other people. Mm-hmm. That's That's how I would look at it. And when we set boundaries we figure out a way to communicate that and there's a spectrum here so often people their boundaries are really loose porous difficult to discern or boundaries that are very firm rigid inflexible Mm -hmm. Um, and we're figuring out how to have adaptable boundaries that sometimes might look firm sometimes might look more flexible depending on circumstance um who you're interacting with 
So it, similar to passive, aggressive, and then assertive in the middle, I, mm. I see boundaries similar to that um, with a lot of, you know, I think they have buddies, loose boundaries with passive, firm boundaries with aggressive, adaptable boundaries with assertive. Mm. Buddies with the communication style that accompanies it? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, Alexis? <clears throat> yeah, I, that's exactly what we teach. It's definitely on a spectrum. We teach about diffused and weak boundaries and rigid, firm boundaries. We liken it to a fence and what that might look like if it were to be surrounding your house. Mm. I think you're exactly right. The goal would be, regardless of what your boundary is at that moment, to be assertive about it Mm. and be able to communicate it. I think it's two parts, right? Being able to identify your boundary but then also communicate it to those around you in a mm. healthy way that, mm. that hopefully will be received well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Both parts equally as hard, yeah. but as yeah. important. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think we should flag talking about the, the implications of not doing that because I think we probably all work with people frequently who are developing resentment within a relationship because their boundaries are being crossed frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of the work is to your point, how do you identify what they are and communicate them in an effort to stop that? Uh, I just want to name two things that I heard you both say that, you know, which is that with the idea of identifying your own boundaries comes the aspect of being able to communicate them. And also the neurobiological part we talked about is like understanding how things are landing in your body when people are saying things to you or when people are engaging with you in a certain way. So I think there's a lot of, you know, whether you want to call it mindfulness or, you know, interoceptive awareness, but like being in touch with yourself mm-hmm. really allows, I think, for a better conceptualization of your own boundaries, which is part of the reason it's easy to see how that's hard for trauma survivors because there's a disconnect from the body often. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So there, so boundaries become harder to even identify. Like what do I, what is actually okay with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a piece of what you're describing is the environment. We can set, boundaries we can be clear we can do the internal work and then the environment does not respond the way we're hoping or deserve to have our boundaries respected in or however that might be Um, what was really enlightening for me in my own healing um, and something I support people with all the time is before during and after so boundaries can be set before during and after an experience um, because I to what Justin was saying, I really struggle in the moment when I'm feeling activated to set the boundary. Mm. But if it's a repeated or an anticipated experience, I um, have found more success in being able to either go back and reflect how that experience was for me and set a boundary then, or which could in some ways be a future boundary for next time. Um, During, like I said, is harder for me. I do better identifying, you know, this is... I'll do this now, but I can't do this later. If my boundary is to stop doing something, mm-hmm. I tend to need to have at least one more go where I do it, even though I know that it's out of alignment, but I use that mobilization that happens for me to have the difficult conversation. And then I feel more able to hold firm the next time mm-hmm. because I'm on the side of like, um, I have been in positions where I say yes when I want to say no. And that um, is something I'm unlearning, and that has been a tool that's been helpful for me. I like that. Like a stepping stone, kind of. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. 
And obviously if it was something that had my immediate safety, that's different. Like I'm thinking about someone asking me for money. Oh, sure. Like a family mm-hmm. member who's struggling financially, reaching out um, and saying, you know, I might be able to do this in this way this time, but I'm not able to do it ongoing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's other ways that I can be of support. Um, but this is how it looks for me right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I like that you brought that up. I also think it's important to realize that you can have a boundary at one point in time and it can change. Mm-hmm. So constant communication, constant reevaluating. Um, you might set a boundary, have that situation happen and realize that wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or um, I need to tweak this a little bit or I need to communicate it more. Mm-hmm. Changes need to be made and it's okay to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking... Both of the things that you two have just said, and I don't know if it would be helpful to give some examples, but I'm thinking about consent and sexual mm-hmm. activities based on a lot of different things you said, right? About the before, during, and after, right? Like, yeah. So there's the, with consent, there's the idea that like, yes, I, I'm open to doing this in the future. There's a yes. And then there's a yes in the moment, and mm-hmm. which is another kind of, you know, saying, yes, my boundaries would dictate that this is okay. And then at any point in the act, of sexual behavior there can be a it's no longer okay Mm -hmm. so like you can draw that at any point in the process and i think what's hard about that though is the point that you made mel which is and this is especially true for people who have trauma around sexual activity but is the ability to articulate Mm -hmm. when something becomes too much in the moment can be really difficult yeah um and I don't know if you, I don't know if either of you have thoughts about that because that's, and we don't have to talk about the idea of consent and, and sexual activity necessarily, but just the idea of how frequent it, how frequently people who have had interpersonal trauma freeze and shut mm-hmm. down in moments when their boundaries are crossed. So it's such a difficult thing to ask somebody to communicate in that moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have thoughts about like how you work with people when they're having those responses. So one thing that I talk to clients or participants about is we don't practice how to swim when we're drowning. Mm. So we look for moments to practice these boundaries and and opportunities where we still feel safe Mm -hmm. to practice them, practice communicating with safe people, Mm. um, to be able to have experiences with it um, that aren't in that moment when we're flooded. Mm we're feeling triggered and activated. Mm-hmm. We feel unsafe. Yeah. Because to your point, sometimes in the moment, it's really hard to put that boundary into place, especially if it's a new one mm-hmm. or one you haven't um, communicated to that person before. Mm. Yeah. Or there's any yeah. potential threat For of, sure. of yeah. abuse, ongoing abuse or danger mm-hmm. if you set that boundary. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, I was beautiful, and one thought I had is the I used to run a group on boundaries, and I used to say, okay, everyone, think about a person you want to set a boundary with. We are not going to start there. Because <laughs> if all you needed was a pep talk and an hour of discussion on boundaries, you would have done it a long time ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to really start with what happened. And I also want to say, if you're someone on the spectrum of I say no first and then deal with missing out later – we're I'll give an example for that but I'll start with the people that are on the yes but I really am, it's in my best interest to say no mm. like let's start with what happens when you order a meal and it comes back incorrectly 
Mm. What's yeah. let's start with what happens when something <laughs> arrives damaged to your house or mm. someone's you know snow plow puts gravel in your driveway or whatever it is right like yeah. think mm-hmm. about um how do you navigate those situations and practice there get have some corrective experience build some momentum and confidence and then we're gonna go to the next rung maybe mm-hmm. it's a coworker. maybe it's someone um you know contacting you on your day off and that's a clear thing or whatever it is you you keep <laughs> yeah. climbing the ladder um yeah. And then if you're on the I say no to everything side, you know, what is something that feels less intimidating to say yes to, less vulnerable to say yes to? Mm. Um, The cost-benefit analysis would say it's actually more risky to say no to this thing than yes to this thing. And maybe Mm. that's going um, to a movie with a friend. I don't know if people do that anymore, but uh, (laughs) you know what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I hadn't thought about it in that terms, but as you're describing it, I'm thinking of just like fear ladders, which we'll do yeah. with people all the time mm-hmm. to manage anxiety. And I think that's a interesting way to think about practicing boundaries. Mm-hmm. Because to your point, Alexis, I mean, you really, you need to feel safe to be able to articulate well at all, really, right? To have that part of your brain that communicates, mm-hmm. you know, fully online, you need to feel safe. So practicing moments where you're actually embodied and able to feel safe and then how do I communicate what I need in those moments it makes sense that that would be a, a helpful stepping stone to more difficult interactions mm-hmm. yeah because we know if you take a look at the window of tolerance yeah. if you are hyper aroused hypo aroused the best growth and learning happen when you're in your window yeah mm-hmm. so outside of that um, you know might not be the best time yeah, yeah for sure do you, I, I was wondering, I'm happy to take it anywhere you uh, two would like to go, but I'm, I'm just wondering, I'm thinking about the impacts of the kind of two that you've identified, like rigid, kind of over, overly rigid versus overly porous. Um, and I don't know if you two have things to say about that. I, I guess I, or if that's interesting to talk about, but I, I guess I just want to flag that I see the overly porous boundaries a couple of things to say about it are one, I see that that's where resentment builds because again, it's like this, these dynamics in this relationship keep happening. I don't want them to happen. So how do I feel? I feel, you know, unsafe. I feel unseen. I feel invalidated. And then ultimately I feel annoyed and, you know, resentful toward this individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also within that, I see people frequently who, one of the most common questions I feel like I ask in therapy is, have you said that to the person? Mm-hmm. Because so often they feel, because it's so viscerally overwhelming that they don't want this thing to happen. Mm-hmm. Their, the mind state is, well, they must know. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if there's anything, if you have thoughts about like the impacts of being kind of overly rigid or porous, but I think that that's relevant because in order for people to be motivated to change, they have to see the way that they're current strategies impacting their relationships Mm -hmm. yeah to oversimplify my response to that would be people that have porous boundaries are at a higher likelihood of being taken advantage of Mm -hmm. uh, abuse being overwhelmed resentful burnt out and then people with very strict boundaries have a higher risk of being disconnected lacking intimacy Mm -hmm. isolated um you know so those are two camps that I see. I don't know if you'd add anything there. 
<clears throat> so to maybe take a look closer at the difference and maybe give an example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think earlier we mentioned if you think of them um, like a fence. So a weak or diffuse boundary would be a fence around your house, but there are holes, it needs repairs, you don't know when you're going to get to those. You might never get to them. There's not a working gate. Mm-hmm. Things can kind of come and go as they please. Mm-hmm. On the opposite end of the spectrum, um, rigid boundaries would be giant rock wall. Nobody's mm-hmm. getting in or out. Mm-hmm. Um, even yourself, you may feel like you don't know when you're going to be able to leave. Mm-hmm. If you're in the middle and you're assertive, you have a well-maintained fence. There's a working gate. Mm-hmm. And you say who and what comes and goes and when. Mm. So that's a, yeah, to just kind of put that into perspective there. Yeah. It's very helpful. Yeah. And with those rigid boundaries, how you essentially create a prison for yourself. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I think of it like, okay, you're up in the tower and there's the moat Mm -hmm. and now you've added some sharks. Like no one's really getting Mm -hmm. in. And that comes out of a place of self-protection, right? That's one strategy. Mm -hmm. So the other a few things that have come to me I want to make sure to say. One is when we do this work on uh, learning assertive boundaries, what we're unlearning is the story we've attached to our strategy that created the, our original or our current boundary style. Mm. Um, so whether it's more the passive boundaries of why don't I stand up for myself, why didn't I stand up for myself, frustration. Mm. There's a lot of shame in the freeze response. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, freeze is something I've said in the past. I'll say again, probably, you know, that was developed when we were young and we couldn't run and we couldn't fight. And yeah. so if we come to comp- to some compassion for the part of us that gave us that strategy or the part that's saying, no, I'm safer in this fence uh, fortress, mm-hmm. then, you know, that is self-protection. Um, yeah. So... That's one thing I wanted to make sure to say. And the other thing was around separating the need from the noise. Because when we're trying to figure out the boundary, I think it can be disorienting to try to look inward, especially if you're trying to like move aside a fight or flight response or resentment or whatever is mm. what, what you're currently reacting to. If you want to respond and not react, then there is this like settling internally that needs to happen where you find the need through the noise because the noise is there you know what that is like that Mm. internal surge or frustration or anger is often a sign of a boundary violation Mm -hmm. and if you you know see that as the end post and you travel back to try to find what was the need that was not being met that i'm reacting now in anger to Mm. that is the signpost to where the boundary needs to be and so those are just some things i wanted to make sure to say before i forgot yeah yeah i i like that you brought up how it can cause resentment in relationships because to me boundaries teach other people how to be in relationships with us mm-hmm. yeah. and to your point Mel um, I don't know about you guys but I find that if I maybe uh, slack on my boundaries or change my boundaries for somebody else then I do feel that frustration or resentment or anger but mm. it's um, towards myself mm. because I have let that happen essentially mm-hmm. um, and if I were to stop and sit and think about it I would recognize that no one necessarily maybe has asked me to change my boundaries I have adjusted them to fit somebody else's needs mm. and therefore mine have come second yep yeah. so I didn't stop 
to wade through that noise and um, make sure that mine were not a priority or not you know more important than somebody else's but my needs are just as important as somebody else's yeah yeah and in that equation you might also be a assuming what their needs are and trying to accommodate in mm-hmm. advance and so there's yeah. a communication opportunity to actually get clarity yeah um and yeah there's another thing and it'll come back <laughs> yeah i i was thinking about two and i hope i can pull them together a couple things as you both were just talking one one of one of them is just to acknowledge the subjective nature of boundaries right like Hopefully you're not going to a therapist, people, you know, any of us or people who are listening and kind of being told, here's what boundaries are. Like, here are appropriate boundaries for X, Y, and Z, right? They're subjective. And that's part of what makes them hard mm-hmm. is that they're different for everyone. And to that, to that end, I think you're, the things you talked about in terms of having compassion for yourselves and, and recognizing the emotional need being said, I, I'm thinking about sessions I've had recently where clients will say basically, like, does this feel reasonable? Mm-hmm. And my response is like, yeah, it's you identifying an emotional need. That's a hundred percent reasonable, right. <laughs> you know, but again, to back to the subjective nature, like there's no right or wrong. So you can tell yourself a story all day that you're being too rigid or too porous or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I do think that's a helpful thing to identify is like, what is my actual emotional need? And can I state that assertively? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the big part of that is allowing yourself the space to have emotional needs. <laughs> Because yeah. so often people are just, they think they're being too much in a relationship by asserting that. Yeah. Right. And they were conditioned at a time to make their needs smaller, to make them more tolerable and yeah. more convenient for another person. Yeah. Uh, I remembered, it came back to me. So self-boundaries become such an important place because we often make boundaries with ourselves that we cross. And how do we treat that and explore that? Do we just stop setting boundaries for ourselves? And boundaries versus intentions or goals, we could sparse those or pick parse. those apart. Parse, that's the word. Yeah. Um, but I think that's another, where do I start? How do I do this? Is those self-boundaries. Um, and being able to explore with some curiosity what happens when there's that moment to uphold those boundaries or adjust them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So I'm, I'm thinking of a boundary that is kind of an example of what I spoke about just earlier, kind of a self boundary, but also one I needed to communicate to people around me. Mm -hmm. Um, At my previous job, Thursdays were very heavy trauma wise. And I started really early and I ended really late. And I knew that to be my best self and give my clients my all, it was better for me to not really talk to anybody before I started work. Mm-hmm. I needed to spend time by myself doing whatever I needed to do to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And so I had to draw that boundary with myself. Don't be on your phone. Don't be starting conversations on the way to work mm-hmm. that cause you to be rushed or mm-hmm. distracted. Mm-hmm. But then I also had to communicate that to my loved ones. Like, hey, uh, just want to let you know, I'm not going to be able to talk Thursday mornings. Mm. Here's what time I'm going to be off. Or here's what time I'm going to have a break. Mm. I'll catch up with you then. But then it would turn into, well, I'll just just text real quick. Mm -hmm. Or I'll just take this one call. And so slowly, you know, I became weak 
with that boundary. It was it became diffused. Mm. So that was a situation where I felt that frustration come in um, with myself. And then that's a moment where you can really start to think like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. And you have those shameful thoughts come in and yeah, it's an opportunity to kind of reel it in, use self-compassion, which can be so helpful with shame Mm -hmm. and adjust. And that's okay to go back. You know what? I've kind of gotten off track here, Mm -hmm. but I I really need to let you know this again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What you just said made me think about the the way in which these things compound on each other, right? Like you, you let one guard down and then all of a sudden, you, and I want to, I'm reflecting on my, I don't know if I've spoken about this on this, but veganism and vegetarianism, I don't know if this is a perfect corollary, but this idea that I set this boundary and, oh, I don't know, April 1st, 2015, <laughs> um, <laughs> where I was, you know, I'm not going to eat meat anymore. And I, I think pretty quickly within about a month or so, I was like, I'm going to be vegan. And I honestly don't know how long it was, a year or two later, um, I think with the birth of our first daughter, started to get more like, I think I'm going to become more vegetarian. I think it's going to be easier. You know, I'm going to let up on this boundary of hardcore veganism and kind of move it and shift things into, I'm going to be a vegetarian. Um, and there there was a lot of shame around that at first because it was like, well, I've decided that I'm vegan. And now what am I like, what kind of person am I to throw that away and kind of lax? Mm -hmm. But over time I've come to really appreciate the thoughtful loosening of that boundary because it allowed me to continue to stay true to a value that I care about, which is to not eat meat. I still haven't eaten meat in seven years. And I say that because if I had stayed rigid, I would, I think I'd be full on just eating burgers every day now. Like, it was like a sustainability issue. Mm-hmm. I needed to flex my boundary in order to feel like I could actually sustain what I wanted to do and what was in alignment with my values. And I think there's something to be said there just in terms of what you were saying, Alexis, of noticing, you know, what are boundaries that are important to us, noticing kind of early on when they're slipping and reevaluating and having c- c- kindness for ourselves and also some like future thought into like, mm-hmm. is this sustainable? Mm-hmm. Because if a boundary is not sustainable, then at least my experience, I don't know how other people think of this, but it's not as if I like, I'm like, okay, I'll just like shift slowly. Like if I'm not thoughtful about it and I just let it go, then it's gone completely. Well, it is that all or nothing. Yeah. You know, what you described is shifting to the gray Yeah. and being able to try something that, that didn't fit in the original two options you gave yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gray is hard. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, not speaking from you know personal experience <laughs> or anything, but gray is hard, yeah. yeah. Especially for certain personality types, or sure. you know, all kinds of things go into that experiences, upbringing, you know, and so gray can be murky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that's the work, right? That's what yeah. you're learning to do. Absolutely. And like assertiveness, it is harder up front because. If you come from a passive place, you're going to say yes. And if you come from an aggressive place, you're going to say no. Mm-hmm. And if it's assertive, it might be yes or it might be no. Mm-hmm. The same with boundaries. And that mm-hmm. requires that upfront effort at a time in which you're already uncomfortable and you don't want to practice the new skill, but it saves you a ton of work later. Mm-hmm. It, and that's hard. And I think we've talked about it on here, but there is this like future self that 
psychologically we somehow believe is different than us mm. and future self will be better at dealing with it and at least it's not me right in the, you know present self dealing with it yeah um and that that's really hard to do the thing now it is yeah, yeah. i try to think of it as what would my future self appreciate what's mm-hmm. something i can do right now that my future self will thank me for or mm. how can i respect my future self respect myself now um, and and that's not to say that you know we're saying all these things and we're discussing it and it's easy no. yeah no. you know we we get up and we live our lives and because we know these things we go out and we do them every day yeah um personally i struggle with boundaries on a daily basis i think it will be lifelong work mm-hmm. yeah um, boundaries grow and shift and change depending on where you're at in your life, who's in your life, what type of work are you doing, you know, mm-hmm. what comes and goes. And it's just constant reevaluation. And mm-hmm. like we've said, it's okay to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree that it's constant reevaluation. And it also makes me think about the importance of constantly trying to evolve and work on communication skills because. Mm-hmm if you can communicate these boundaries as they evolve, then your relationships mm-hmm. will be better for it and your mental health will be better for it. Because right. it's not as if, you know, if you've got the boundary thing down you then, and you have a few difficult conversations with a few people that you never have to do it again, right? Like it's yeah. al- always going to be shifting for you and you're going to be like, actually, this is no longer okay or I need this now. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and most yeah. of the time, it is more helpful to look at progress based on where you've been, not where you're trying to go. Most of the time, obviously, if we've, you know, had a level of functioning and then experienced decline, that's really hard because it's basically backwards. But for the most part, um, and I think even though boundaries are hard, we, you know, if we can be 1% better and, and, you know, allow allow ourselves small steps to to climb the mountain, we are modeling the behaviors we want to see in the relationships around us and creating opportunities to normalize these kinds of conversations Mm -hmm. yeah so i'm just curious how do either of you deal with when you do communicate a boundary with somebody and they either blatantly disrespect it or Mm. they continue to disrespect it and kind of not abide by that boundary are there certain phrases that you have found work Mm. what approach would you Mm. kind of suggest well, the first thing that question made me think of is an example you gave on the podcast a while ago about using an I statement with me. Mm-hmm. This has been something I've been talking a lot with clients about this idea of using a skill. So in this case, setting boundary with someone and then it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. And then people are just like, well, that didn't work. And they just regress back to whatever they would do before, sure, right? Yeah. You know, go into passive mode or start getting aggressive about it. Mm-hmm. So my first thought is to like stay the phrase in my mind. I say all the time is like stay in the game. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I've set a boundary, this response, you know, the kind of external mindfulness of like, they're not handling it particularly well. <laughs> I don't like this response. That's my first thought. And then um, with that kind of awareness and place of being centered, or if you need space to go away and come back, but saying, you know, that didn't feel like a great response to this is a boundary I'm trying to set. It's this thing is important to me. Your response didn't feel great. Didn't feel validating. And then lastly, my my thought is just recognizing that one of the beautiful things about being able to assertively name your boundaries with people is I think it provides some clarity because if you do it over and over again in a very clear way and they're continually broached, then you start thinking about 
how healthy the relationship is. Right. It provides information. Yeah. It does. I mean, I went to the fact that I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old that Always are crossing your boundaries. Constantly <laughs> not respecting my boundaries. Yeah. And so I have a lot of practice and I feel really confident in being clear with what my boundary is and then completely crumble when it's not respected <laughs> repeatedly. I, I'm usually yeah. good and by good I mean I usually am responding the way that's in alignment with how I want to respond the first time and the second time and the maybe the third time but by the fourth time when that moment hits I, I you know I am very frustrated sure. and dysregulated and activated and yeah. Um, trying my best and that often looks like saying out loud I'm feeling really frustrated mm-hmm. um, my sister heard a phrase that I've been using with the kids which is I'm gonna say this very clearly so you can follow my instructions mm-hmm. and um, that has been helpful for me to be like okay and now's the time I'm gonna set the boundary <laughs> and land the boundary like just yeah. having a soft a soft open for for the boundary so can I say that I, I watched this happen in real time the other day? <laughs> so from the other room. So I, you're one room over, and I'm getting dressed or doing something that required like 30 seconds of my... I couldn't go in immediately, so I was just like listening to this happen. Uh-huh. And I think what you were saying, you're like playing, you're like rolling around and like playing with them. And I heard you say like, I need a little space now, or like, you know, mommy needs her body back or something. And you, like you said, you said it like three times and then you said, I think essentially like now I'm getting frustrated and I'm going to walk away or something. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, and I think when I was able to finally walk in, I, I just said to you like, go take some space. Like, I, I know you're like at the end now, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I like, watched that process of like, they're just, they're not getting it, you know, which is totally developmentally appropriate, mm-hmm. but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Yeah. I don't you... know if that answered, that was a good question. Yeah, oh, yeah that... absolutely. That's. Yeah, I love that feedback. <laughs> so kind of one ending thought that's kind of coming up for me. I try to always remind participants that come to the retreat, clients that I work with, just people that I chat with, you have to keep in mind you are the one making changes. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. someone who's come to the retreat, you've come mm-hmm. here, you've put in the hard work, you've learned all these new great things that you want to rush home and implement and mm. you're excited. Nobody else in your life came to retreat. Mm. Nobody else in your life learned anything new. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing that, um, not getting crushed when it doesn't go well the mm. first time, staying in the game and knowing mm. that it's worth it to stay excited, to try again, mm communicate clearly it's everybody deserves you know a chance to to try to do that and and mm. have healthy and strong boundaries that keep everybody safe mm. mm-hmm. yeah that's really good advice it makes me think of i'm sure you too the res the res days because you're talking about retreats and mel and i worked in mm-hmm. residential facilities mm-hmm. with the same type of conversations at mm-hmm. discharge right like you know usually there's some family involved because it's a longer term your retreats are are less, you know, than the six months that folks are with me or yeah. a month that they were at your residential. But same idea that, yeah, you're going back and, you know, I take, yeah, it takes time, right? Because all you can do is model and just keep trying yeah. your best. And I like what you said about like staying excited about it because people usually are excited. They're like, there's yeah. some new skills that like are going to make my relationships mm. better. And it's a shame to think that they would lose that 
because they get kind of shot down a few yeah. different times. Mm-hmm. That adage of like when you're in a crisis situation, like look for the helpers. And I think mm-hmm. like when you go home or when you're trying this out, like look for the people that respect your boundaries. Mm, I love that. Like they're out mm-hmm. there. They really are. So yeah. thank you for sticking with us and we'll be back soon. Thank you, Alexis. Thank you so much. This was fun. Yeah. Thank you, Alexis. See y'all soon. <laughs>